This is day 126 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Psalms chapters 148 through 150. Then we will do Proverbs chapters 1 and 2. Lord Heavenly Father, may your name be praised today in our hearts and in the world around us. Your creation continually glorifies you. We exist to give you that praise and that glory, Lord. May we be effective in that end to fulfill the reason for our existence. Lord, may we glorify you in our hearts continually, that we don't forget your commandments, that we carry you with us all day long. We recognize that we are completely in your hands. Please bless us today as we enter into your word with an attitude of submission, with an attitude of praise, that you receive all the glory in all of our activity, in all of our heart. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his Maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, and a two-edged sword in their hand, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for all his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sounds. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head, and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, for they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates, in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called, and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel, and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. 
They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way, and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely, and will be at ease from the dread of evil. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your ear to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver or search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice, and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. That leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. From her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Congratulations for completing all 150 of the Psalms consecutively. And I thought this was the best possible way that we could end the Psalms through a climactic conclusion of the summation of the entire book of Psalms, which is praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Just like it says in the last verse, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I think that is a fair summary of everything that the book of Psalms is about. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord because of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, his power, his wisdom, his majesty. Everything about him deserves praise. And that is why we exist. We exist solely to give glory to God. Can you believe that? 
it's kind of hard to believe sometimes because we don't praise the Lord. So many people on earth do not praise the Lord. But at the end, everyone will bow down in submission to him. But what he really wants from us is our heart aligned with his will. And we worship him continually and seek to do what is right in his sight. And toward that end, we need to have the right posture of heart. And this is where I think the book of Psalms really comes into play on, do we feel like this? Do we feel this praise and this attitude of glorifying our God? Because so often we get so selfish and we just think about what we want and what we don't have, what could be better. And we so often neglect giving the glory back to God for the things that we do have, and we typically take for granted. As Americans, we are so spoiled. We are so entitled. We have no idea in some ways what real hardship is. That the world knows very well, but we have never really experienced it. So God has taken very good care of us, and we have taken it for granted. May we not be entitled children in God's kingdom, because we're not. We should not be. Because that attitude of arrogance and pride is against everything God has stood for. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And this is not something that you're supposed to keep to yourself. Okay? Yeah, you can definitely be praising God throughout your day internally. But this is not something that you bottle up and you save for yourself. That is a very selfish thing. The whole point of this is to express it to the world around us. Do we praise the Lord in the sight of other men and women? Do they know what we stand for? Do we know who is central in our life? I really hope that's the case. And if not, we've got some work to do. Is God number one in your life? Or are you number one? And he competes with you. We have to ask ourselves honestly. Because there's so often that we are blind to ourselves. But we really need to often look in the mirror and see what we are exalting in our lives. Are we exalting God? Is he getting just this little bit of time every day from us? And that's the only time we think about him? Or is he with us all day long, involved in every aspect of our lives? We are framing our lives in obedience to his commands, being obedient to his word. Where are you? And really, there's, that's the, that is the best possible way to end the Psalms, is are we there? Are we at the point where we can say these things? Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Do we recognize God for who he really is, who he has presented himself to be? If we're not there, we need to be badly because we are missing out so much on having the joy of our salvation. There should be so much rejoicing in our hearts every single day when we recognize who we are in Jesus Christ what he has done for us and is going to do for us. He deserves it. 
We don't deserve anything. We are sinners. We don't deserve anything. But instead, give that to God and challenge him on that. Don't you think he would bless you if we were to give everything to him? We are not to put our Lord God to the test, but there are at least one or two times in the Bible where he says to test him on this, because he has promised certain things in his word that if we do these things, then there is a cause and effect relationship, right? If we are praising the Lord and obedient to his word, his commandments, then blessings come. And if we are not obedient to the word of God, then curses and consequences come. It's very clear throughout the Bible. Wouldn't we want to be in the blessings? Things will get harder for us in some ways, but things will get easier in others. And life in general gets easier when we submit to God, knowing that he is sovereign and in control of our destiny. Even the day-to-day stuff, he's in charge of it. So what do we have to worry about? Get on your knees and praise the Lord. Right now. If you can't physically do it, do it in your heart. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is the most appropriate thing to do in sight of His glory. Amen and amen. With that being all said and done, we move into the book of Proverbs. And I don't think there's any accident that these two are right next to each other. Because I think that we have to reach the point of recognizing who we are in God and putting God in the proper position in our lives and exalting him to the highest degree before we can come to this section here. Think about it. If we don't praise the Lord, if we don't recognize who he is, if we don't think about what he has done and marvel at what he has done, how are we going to come to Proverbs and understand his wisdom if we don't praise him? You see, there's there's a direct correlation between this. I don't think there is any accident that these two are right next to each other. I don't think you can come to the Proverbs unless you have mastered the heart attitude of the Psalms. Because if we love the Lord, and we want to praise Him, and we glorify Him, we exalt Him to the highest degree, then we will obey Him. We will act in good works toward His kingdom. We will minister to others. We will evangelize. We will share the gospel. We will make activities that will glorify God and that will demonstrate the true fear of the Lord. And then we can move into wisdom because, like it says in verse 7 of chapter 1 here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you don't want to be bossed around by God, you don't want to be developed by God, he's not mentoring you, then you have shut him off. You have shut the door in his face and have not allowed him in. That's why Solomon is very clear that the proper 
position before you can enter into this book is that we fear the Lord. We will learn absolutely nothing if we do not fear the Lord. God is the source of all knowledge and all wisdom, and wisdom is far greater than knowledge. It is a supernatural power to have wisdom. But you know what? The book of James talks about this. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, are a beautiful illustration of the importance of wisdom and where it comes from. So we know that God is the source of wisdom, right? That's what is declared here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We will not attain knowledge unless we fear the Lord properly. But James expands upon that a little bit more. So let me just read this to you, unless you want to turn there in your Bible. But James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So that's a promise right there. But there is one condition. But, in verse 6, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see the condition here? We have to go into the wisdom of God and fear of him and praising him, glorifying him first before God will give us wisdom. If we go to God's throne with doubt, if we go to his presence with hesitation or no confidence that he can do it, it says very clearly that he will not do it. We should not expect to receive anything from the Lord if we doubt he can do it. If we doubt in the word of God, there should be no doubt. We need to have the proper, that's one of the conditions to going to his throne, is knowing that the word of God is completely true. It is the inerrant, preserved word of God. It contains no errors, no contradictions. It is indeed the word of God. What God has spoken is put on paper. We have to be there first before we can ask God for wisdom. Because if we have any sort of doubt, well, I don't know if the Bible's true or not. I don't even know if there really is a God. I pray and nothing really happens, so I don't know. Well, we're not going to go anywhere. There has to be faith. There has to be confidence in who God is. So he explains at the beginning of chapter 1, of Proverbs, of why he's doing it. What is the purpose for this book? And it's to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction, and so on and so forth. It gives you the list of everything that this book will accomplish if you listen to it. And you see this language here of as if a man is talking to his son or a teacher to a student. So when you say my son, it may not be a biological son here, but it's a wise teacher addressing his student. 
And you see that language often. Where, like, for example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he continues whenever he writes letters to Timothy, he refers to Timothy as his son. Now, he's not his biological son. We know who his parents are in the Bible. It's not Paul. But he calls him his son because he's his spiritual son. He is his mentor. He is his guide, his teacher. And so he considers him like a son in the faith. And this is the same kind of understanding here that my son, it's not necessarily a biological son like King Solomon is talking to his son. That's not what he's referring to here. This is a teacher speaking to his student. Or if you want to be more precise, God speaking to us. So when it says, my son, put your name there. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing unbiblical about it. Ryan, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Ryan, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. I mean, it works perfectly if you were to do it like that. Because it is directed to us. It is a timeless book of wisdom that is completely applicable to us. Now, in the second half of chapter 1, it starts going into a personified version of wisdom. Now, there are some cult and Gnostic groups out there that, for many hundreds of years, have tried to attribute this as wisdom being a an actual being. In some cultures, they also consider wisdom being the fourth person of the Godhead. That there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Wisdom. And that's not what it's, it's trying to illustrate here. The writer of the proverb is indeed personifying wisdom as if she was a woman, as a female. But it is not re- literally a person. But it, it does it in such a way so that we can understand a better illustration of how wisdom interacts with us and what it does for us. So like it says in verse 20, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. What does that mean when it says that she is at the head of the noisy streets and cries out? Could it be that the noise is us? and the world around us that tries to drown out sound wisdom with its distractions, with its pleasures, with its sin, with its enticements, that she's trying to shout at us, hey, pay attention to me, because what I have to say is important. And what does she say? Verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Ooh. Are you accusing me of being simple-minded if I pursue the things of this world? Yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. Scoffers delighting themselves in scoffing, fools hating knowledge. That's what you're into? Turn to my reproof. Turn to my instruction. My corrective instruction. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. God desires us to want his wisdom. He wants us to seek it. 
And if we don't seek it or we flat out refuse it, the scripture talks about that too. Verse 24, because I called you and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and you did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. So this is God doing this. God is the provider of wisdom, and he wants us to seek him through, what's the conduit? The fear of the Lord. We have to obey the Lord. We have to seek him. We have to love him. And if we refuse to love him, then he will not give us his wisdom. And then when we act like, well, we don't know what happened. We don't know why we're suffering so much. We don't know why we're struggling. You've had the opportunity to learn my wisdom, and you refused it. So this is a natural consequence to your refusal to listen to wisdom. These calamities, these hardships will come upon you, and you got exactly what you were asking for. So turn to wisdom. And we have to understand this as well, that wisdom is not just a dump of like he just downloads a bunch of stuff into you as he wills. It is also, there is some activity required on our part, right? Like it said, we have to believe without doubting. But also, you have to be willing to receive the wisdom. And that comes in different forms, as will be discussed here in the book. But, for example, through his discipline, the chastening of the Lord, is one way we get wisdom. It's not comfortable, but it is one way to do it. So instead of him just downloading to your head, it requires action from us, like it says in chapter 2. My son, or put your name there again, Ryan, if you will receive my words, so I have to receive his words, and then I have to treasure his commandments within me, and then I have to make my ear attentive to wisdom, what does that mean? How do I make my ear attentive to wisdom? My ear cannot be occupied by something or someone else. My ear has to be inclined to God. And that's usually through an attitude of prayer and meditation, studying his word. I'm supposed to incline my heart to understanding. Lean on God for my understanding. Like it's going to say here in chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. He'll describe this in much more detail as we go through this. Why? Why should we do all this? Because in verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He saves it for those who seek him and for his children and for those who do not obey and who turn away from him, they will get what's coming to them. Like it says at the end of the chapter, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. And then it refers to, in the middle there, some of the people that we are supposed to avoid, and more specifically, the adulterous woman. Or the adulterous man. It could go both ways, but in this particular case, men are so easily enticed by what they can see with their eyes, and with the allure and the thrill of the hunt, so to speak. It awakens something in a man 
that brings back that almost like a primal need, the seeking and all and all that those things that when you think of, at least I think of it when I was still in the dating world, and I was pursuing my girlfriend, who is now my wife. You know, there's just something so enticing about that. There's just something so thrilling about seeking a woman and just hoping to get her to be mine. And for so many men, I think that's why there's so much divorce. Because the thrill of the hunt is over once you get married. And then you don't feel that thrill anymore. And then the reality of life comes in where there's hardships, there's going to be arguments, there's compromises that have to be made. And it's not just purely sexual or, you know, I can't get my hands off each other kind of attitude. It's something more deep and more emotional. But that carnal side desires the thrill of the hunt. And that's why so often people cheat on their spouse. I'm not getting what I want from my spouse. Therefore, I'll go get it somewhere else. And that just leads to all kinds of problems. And that's most likely why we have so much divorce today. No, do not live in a life of adultery. There's a reason why the family unit was created by God. There's a reason why he created sex to be between a man and a woman in marriage only. And you save yourself for marriage for that very thing. Because then you're going to compare yourself or your spouse to other things and you'll be dissatisfied. And you'll be giving parts of yourself to different people instead of giving your whole self to one individual as it is intended by God. There's something very mysterious about what the Bible describes as the two becoming one flesh. I don't fully understand it. It is very deep. I don't, and the Bible talks about that to some degree as well. As It is a very deep mystery. But I think it is, in many ways, the closest that we can get in the physical realm to the fellowship that the Trinity has with itself, that God has with himself in the three persons. So that in a united church, those two things together are the greatest that we can come to how God is in communion with himself for all eternity. So in light of everything I just said, the biggest takeaway for today is we have to recognize where we are. This is an excellent time to take some inventory, to look ourselves in the mirror, if you will. Are we where we need to be spiritually? Are we praising the Lord? Are we near to Him? And if we're not, it's not too late. We can always repent. We can approach God in our sin and ask for forgiveness. You don't have to be fully repentant to open your mouth and pray. To get on your knees, you don't have to fix the problems yet. You can get on your knees right now because you're never too dirty for God. He hates sin, yes, but he is your father and you are his child. He will not refuse you if you are begging for his forgiveness and seeking repentance. 
You don't have to fix the problem first in order to pray. And so often we think that we have to fix the problem before I can approach God. No, even in your sin, approach him. He's beyond it. He is above it. It doesn't affect him at all. But he can do it to you. He can fix you. He wants to heal you. Let him. That way you can be, at the end of the Psalms here, praise the Lord. And then we can go and understand his wisdom. It takes drinking the milk of the Spirit first, so to speak, before we can eat the solid food. We've got to be able to get off the baby bottle and start eating meat. So let's work toward that end. We can do it. Through God, all these things are possible. We just have to trust him in this process and give our whole self to him. My prayer for you today is that you do that. You can be forgiven. You are never too far gone. You have never wandered off too far. God is waiting for you to return to him. And if you are with him right now, fantastic. Let's keep moving. We're not done yet. You're never going to stop. It's time to take the next step forward and get wisdom so that you can stay with him and never wander off again. That is all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.